More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Symbiotic Aquaponic Systems of Change Not only does the name Symbiotic Aquaponic describe the business Cave and Smallwood founded with his brother Shelby, but it is also a tribute to the values that inform its trajectory. Originally, Cabin thought the terminology might pique the interest of those not familiar with the ancient method it describes. In fact, a cursory search would reveal that aquaponics is a system combining aquaculture and hydroponics to create a controlled environment that recirculates water between a fish pond or tank to irrigate plants. This ancient agrarian practice has been in use for thousands of years, but applying aquaponic principles to modern agriculture is revolutionary. When Cave and Smallwood first learned about aquaponic systems, they resonated with his vision of sustainability, a cultural tenet passed down to him through the generations of his tribe, the Choctaw Nation. We sat down with Cave to discuss the revolution in sustainable food production, how his heritage influences his entrepreneurship, and what the pandemic might mean for the future of aquaponics. Enjoy this episode with Kaven. Very few of us actually understand aquaponics and how it works. So I think it's also, it's a justified assumption here that most people don't understand at all what this is about. So I think like for my own education and for that of our listeners and our readers, it would be really great if you can tell us a little bit more about what it is, how it differentiates itself from like, you know, traditional systems and what also made you guys go into it in the first place, because that would be really interesting for us to understand the connection. Sure. So initially aquaponics by definition is a recirculating water system where you raise fish and produce. You put those two worlds together in a controlled environment and you're able to get a highly efficient growing system in which you get a protein source and a vegetable source while conserving resources. Mm. My background and my brother, who is key and integral to the company, he's more of the system designer and the, the tinkerer. Growing up, we had a family farm in Tallahena, Oklahoma. Uh, my grandpa, uh, who passed away uh, about five years ago now, was really integral in teaching us how to farm in what he would call the old ways. Okay, so okay. we're very fortunate to be Native American. Uh, Choctaw is our tribe. We're housed in Southeast Oklahoma. And I use that term pretty literally, right? Because of federal removal. I don't get too much into Native American politics or history. But my tribe is an agricultural-based tribe mm-hmm. that at its base integrated fish from the Mississippi River with agriculture to feed our own tribe sustainably. So Mm. what we found was growing up, gardening was fun. It was rewarding. It allowed us to feed our communities. It allowed us to feed our families. Really, it was hard. And it was backbreaking labor. And we were using tillers. And we were using 
garden hose and utensils and we were planting by hand and you know all the things that come with the traditional idea of of gardening and and we were loving every minute of it i had the fortune of pursuing higher education and when i was in or just finishing up my law degree i read a book over aquaponic gardening and it really struck home with all of those concepts that our grandpa had taught us but mm-hmm. put this new spin on an age-old concept and technology right? aquaponics isn't new aquaponics has been around since the ancient orient when they were mm-hmm. using koi ponds with staggered rice paddies and they would manually pump the water up to the top rice paddy and let it trickle back down to the koi pond right that's very primitive aquaponics mm-hmm. and the Aztec culture down in Mexico City now or what was Canoctalan then the mm-hmm. chinampas were floating gardens that they put on top of Lake Canoctalan and mm-hmm. use that as a sustainable food source for a very advanced civilization for the time so what we wanted to do was to modernize those concepts your grandfather did this fantastic thing, this huge thing in handing down knowledge across generations, which is such an important thing, especially for indigenous communities, of course, where we worry about knowledge and wisdom being lost, etc. I'm always wondering, how do these things get lost in the first place, Kaben? And I'm not sure if you have an opinion about this, but because you guys are picking this up now, as yourself described, an almost ancient technology that's been there forever. And you're picking this up now in the 21st century and developing it further, but there's this huge stretch in between where these methods were all but ignored or, you know, not used anymore. So what happened in between? Why were these things deprioritized? Why wasn't that message? Because it's clearly also much better for the environment. There's so many benefits to it. So, so what happened? We lost the triple bottom line and we started focusing on the bottom line mm-hmm. from an agricultural standpoint. and. Uh, government subsidies and people losing touch with the earth led to us losing touch with our food systems. Mm -hmm. And it's really tragic. So what we've tried to do is provide that opportunity, right? To reintroduce this technology using business, using law, using marketing, using all of these concepts that I was so fortunate to learn about, thanks to my family and my tribe, to bring this technology into the modern age. Because the fact of the matter is that we have to make it at least economical. I'm not going to say financially feasible, but it is. But at least economical to show people that they can at least feed themselves or they can feed their communities. And initially, that was a big way to grow the community because we couldn't point to academic research about what we were doing. We could only show anecdotally and through education how cool this was for our community. When you and your brother started out together on this, and what were the the biggest challenges that you guys faced, you know, starting this business? And were they challenges from within your tribe or from within your community or facing an industry that you're trying to basically change to face off? by showing that this is possible, right? Like, so I'm sure that there are some people who didn't want to hear this. So what do you and your brother sort of like remember as being the, the biggest challenge here? What was the limitation initially? Uh, there's a lot of pushback. 
from not only the tribe, but communities, from even some of our partners, even from my grandpa, okay? Because this was something that was completely new. Mm. So what we were able to do is fall back on a, a tribal program that was known as the CAB program or the Choctaw Asset Building Program. And we were able to fall back on our family. So the asset building program, basically, you had to save a certain portion of money and the tribe would match it for either education, for home ownership, or to start a business. So my parents assisted my brother and I. We were both tribal members, so we got to do our program. Uh, We, with their help, saved money throughout the six months of the program. The tribe matched it which was basically we saved 2000 they gave us four. We had $6,000 each and we didn't really know what to do with it. So we decided if we wanted to show that this could work, the only way to do it was to build one mm-hmm. and nobody was going to pay us to build one. So we decided to find a school that potentially would take a chance on us and would allow us to donate the system to the school. Because we figured if we did that, people would see it. And if people saw it, they could see the potential. And we could meet that social good and use it as marketing to help grow the company. And uh, fortunately for us, although the system we built kind of sucked, as often happens with the first time we try to build an aquaponics system, the concept worked. The Mm. the spirit worked. The, The community started seeing the potential, the opportunity. And then I was fortunate to get a job teaching economics at a local college. They heard about the work we were doing at the school and commissioned us to build the system for the first time. So we thought we were just going to be aquaponic farmers, right? But then we realized that there was a market opportunity to build systems in the way that we wanted them. After that, we uh, really had the turning point in the company. We applied for a grant through the Hitachi Foundation And we were recognized uh, through the Yoshiyama program as one of five companies nationwide to win their social entrepreneurship award. That came with a $40,000 endowment and Mm -hmm. technical support and mentorship. We used that money to go back and fix the systems that we built originally because we knew that those were going to be key to our growth. And then my brother went to the drawing board to design the components that we needed to make modular and scalable systems based upon the design principles that we created. So the role of the, and and it's important to us just to emphasize this because one of the reasons why we wanted to particularly talk to you for our special feature that's coming out is of course the connection with your tribe and how that is actually, so first of all, led you to the technology itself and to the way of doing things itself, but is always also been part of your motivation. So tell us about how, um, how it still intersects with each other now. Like obviously you told us how it got you your start, et cetera. Today, how do you position your own cultural identity and your tribal identity within the business? How do you make these two things sort of like work together? I think that they're they're one and the same. And it's our job to use our platform to number one, speak about our Native American heritage. I think that it's part of who we are. It's part of who the company is. And it's part of why we've had the, a limited amount of success we've been fortunate to have so far. Additionally, I think that this technology is prime for Native American tribes. I see things going on 
on reservations, uh, not only in the United States, but abroad with indigenous people, whether it's the struggle for food, whether it's the loss of connection with the land through deforestation, whether it's a purposeful stripping of rights by governments to mm. you know, assimilate mm. and to do away with these cultures that are really key to learning some of this, these ideas that can shape the green economy. If you think about how you were brought up and what your grandfather and your parents and your tribe has taught you, what are sort of like the tenets that you think really need to come back to the foreground as we continue to hopefully understand that we're a guest on this planet and should behave accordingly? I was just wondering if, you know, even from your childhood or even now, what are sort of the core values that you think should really emerge from just the conversations between you and your community towards a global platform for everyone to embrace? I think it's kind of my personal mantra that I've adopted. And I got so tired of hearing the word sustainability mm. thrown around. It's just, it, was, it was a buzzword. And, mm. and nobody, in my opinion, really took the time to define it or look down inside to see what that looked like from an economy standpoint, from a natural recess standpoint, from how much time you can spend with your family, you know, whatever that finite resources. So what, what I came up with was sustainability is providing for today while leaving for tomorrow. Mm. And if everybody made that their focus, we wouldn't have hungry people. We wouldn't have excess. We wouldn't have a world where we basically have to get shut down because our civilization does so much damage to the world that it's going to make us quit one way or another. And if we could achieve that as a hive mind to where everybody followed that principle and those tenets, uh, we would not have an issue as a civilization and it would be utopia. So I know that's impossible, right? But if we can just get the majority of people, that's all we need. If we can get the majority, then, then we can change the entire world. It's what you just said as well before about the word sustainability and how it's being bandied around quite uh, far and, and quite loosely. And I would say definition attached to it, I would quite agree with you. It's the same, though, with the expression of the triple bottom line. We do see a lot of businesses claiming it. Some of them are living it. It's quite hard to tell. Your whole business model has been built around the triple bottom line. I wanted to ask you, in the face of a, of a world that is going through this pandemic and us, I think, being increasingly faced with the reality that things will not go back to normal, but that we will truly be faced with a totally new reality. Do you think the definition of what the triple bottom line is, is going to change? Like, do you believe that we need to consider expanding that notion? Do we need to take this current, like this possibility of pandemics, for instance, this huge possibility that obviously only convinced everyone now that it's happened. Is this something that you feel like we should start including into this conversation as to what makes a business profitable, successful, and sustainable? I think we have to, because right now it's society that is marginalizing these costs that are created by our inefficient mm. economic systems. Okay, so I don't ever think that, and I hate this, but it's true. I don't ever think that the financial bottom line is not going to be important for people. That's the nature of humans. That's the yeah. nature of people. That's the nature of competition. It's the has and the have. <laughs> yeah. 
what I think and what gives me hope is that I see different governments, I see different communities adding additional weight to community and to environment. So maybe the financial returns are break even or are plus one, uh, but they're willing to invest into that type of opportunity because frankly, I think that the people in the know are starting to realize that a broken economic system will eventually lead to what we're seeing right now in some facet, whether it's housing market collapse, whether it's banking system collapse, whether it's global health pandemics, we only can take so much as humans without giving back. Otherwise, the earth will take. So we have to find that balance in between those three. And that's up to organizational leaders. That's up to governmental leaders. That's up to banking leaders. That's up to educational institutions. That's Mm -hmm. up to the people with the endowments. That's up to the billion dollar companies to start to value that. And sadly, the reason why they will start to value that is because they've been hit so hard over the past 60 to 90 days. And when you interrupt the flow of the economy, people take notice and they start to channel money in directions that prevent that from happening again. It's rewarding in one sense. I think this whole disastrous situation that we're facing right now, it's rewarding in the sense that I I guess that companies such as yours and your brothers and companies that have been investing in culture, diversity, like, you know, uh, environmental consciousness are really getting rewarded now because I think, you know, you're ahead of time. You don't have to make a switch. You are right there where you need to be to get on with this next chapter. So I was just wondering whether you had already had the opportunity to talk to each other about how this situation is going to now impact your future strategy, you know, the three generations ahead of you. How has it changed? Have your objectives changed based on this? Or are you guys steering the course because you were anyways going towards a certain direction that is even aligned with a world that is facing this kind of a situation? So how, how has your strategy adjusted to this? So we're very fortunate in the fact that we had some forward thinking concepts with our systems. There were drawbacks, right? There were disadvantages Mm -hmm. to them. It took a lot of energy to move water, to enable bell siphons, which were what we were really relying on to drain beds because draining beds is key to growing fruiting crops. If not, you Mm -hmm. get root rot and you're not able to do things other than those leafy greens, right? So we began about two years ago, and it was an internal trade-off for me, uh, but it was working on automation. And I'm actually here right now. That's where we're taking this call from. As far as I know, this is the only, and I don't, I I put that big caveat, right? As far as I know, uh, (laughs) this is is a new deal here. And what I'm calling it is CEBA, C-E-B-A. Controlled Environmental Biological Agriculture. Mm. It's the combination of indoor ag with automated aquaponics. And the major benefits and the reason why we've really pushed our company this direction 
wasn't because we had the foresight to see the global pandemic, right? It was because we looked at the issues in the agricultural industry and we looked at the people that we could most help. And sometimes that means by replacing those people, as sad as that may be. Agricultural workers are exposed to the most inhumane and the most horrendous conditions that you could ever possibly mm-hmm. imagine. It's basically indentured servitude all the way to slavery, depending on mm-hmm. where you're at and how bad the conditions are. Automation does destroy jobs, mm-hmm. fact. But what it also does is it provides an environment where we can grow food more efficiently using our resources, where we can provide workers with a safe environment and where we can go back and help address these glaring issues in our food system by reducing the number of people that it takes to feed an ever-growing yes. world. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do in terms of us being this company is we have to continue to build around efficiencies. We've mm-hmm. never built around financial success. It's been really hard sometimes, but we've always built around economic efficiencies. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing the, that constant investment into economic benefit start to to pay off right now. And I think that uh, governments will take notice. I think that large corporations will take notice. I think that large organizations will take notice. And then it's our responsibility to be stewards of that change. We can't be what, what we hate, right? We have to make sure that we stay true to the values of our company, that we stay true to the values that we want out there and not sacrifice those for that financial gain that you talked about earlier. And so that's my job now is to balance all of this world of opportunity that I think is going to come with staying true to who we are, but growing the company and providing opportunity for other people. So uh, my job's changed tenfold compared to what it was five years ago. And I welcome that change. I think that we're ready for it. We're looking forward to Uh, following you as this evolves, as the situation evolves and looking where you guys are at. And thank you so much for doing this conversation with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes. 